strategy strategy race. Yeah. Lead us in H. All right. Welcome everyone to episode 80 something. I can't remember the number of the racing line podcast. Uh, we're joined tonight by Tristan and Joey to review the recent Daniel Ricardo Grand Prix. I mean, the Hungarian Grand Prix <laughs> boys. How are we? Good, mate. How are you? Good, good. Yeah, I'm doing um, pretty good too, man. Thank lots you. Of talking points tonight. That's good. Harry, your internet is very jumpy. I'm going to start us off with some of your points, mate. All right, I'll leave us off. So, welcome everyone, first and foremost. What a, well, wasn't a great race, to be honest. I think we've had a few better ones in the can over the last couple of weeks that we've spoken about, but an interesting race nonetheless. I think there's a few uh, points that this race might have raised or solidified that we've sort of been discussing in terms of. McLaren, Ferrari, I think um, we'll probably start off with, other than the fact that uh, Verstappen won won pretty convincingly the biggest margin of the season. They brought their new upgrades this week uh, at Red Bull and the car. Although in qualifying, it probably looked the shakiest it's been all year. In race pace, it looked pretty imperious, which is um, something that, which is the area where the Red Bull team seems to be able to stretch their legs. But the first sort of uh, point I wanted to discuss was what is going on with Ferrari? You know, Ferrari, start of last year, looked like the team that could, you know, had developed a car that could really be at least, you know, take it to Red Bull. They won a few races early last year. We saw the team fall off by the end of last year. We said, you know, they don't look match fit. Uh, they They don't look like in terms of the way the team is performing, like a team that, you know, is going to challenge for a championship. Uh, end of the season comes, new seat, you know, off season comes. Car hasn't really made the strides that we probably had expected over the off season. And then in the last coming races, we've seen upgrades from uh, McLaren, we've seen upgrades from Mercedes, we've seen upgrades from uh, Alpine that have done a little bit, upgrades from Williams that have done quite a bit for the car. And yet nothing that Ferrari seemed to do, like in, of all the teams, they probably look like the team that have dropped away the most other than Aston Martin, but they've never had the highs this year that Aston Martin have had. What do you guys think of – What do you, where do you see Ferrari at this moment in time? Oh, it's probably um, it's just me and you, Tristan. I'm, yeah, he, he dips out every time I join. Um, but, no, look, I think I, I'm sort of being like a – Following the F1 from, I guess, afar this year, it's it, to me, it's, it hasn't been the most exciting form of racing. From what I have been watching, um, you know, I've been trying to keep tads on obviously everything on social media and, and whatnot. But from what I have been watching, it just seems like they're going in the wrong direction uh, with their car, their setup, and obviously, you know, probably more importantly, their strategy. So, you know, it's, it's really disheartening to see Ferrari going through this you know, tough period. And I guess, guess from a, you know, Ferrari fan like myself or a long-term Ferrari fan like myself, it's been going on since they won their last world championship back in 2007, you know, and I know they had a couple of years where they got pretty close to taking it to, I think it was McLaren and and then um, after that Red Bull, but ever since it's, it's just been a fall from grace. Um, I don't really know. I don't have the answers for them. (laughs) I don't think they do either. (laughs) No, I I definitely don't think they do. And and 
one of the things that we've been discussing over the last coming weeks is, or the last couple of weeks is, when you look at the F1 teams and you look at the strengths of driver lineups, they're they're at a, they're they're in a pretty comfortable spot with the lineup that they've got. Yeah. But the the their inability to actually provide a competitive car, you know, you know, consistently, it it doesn't look like a bad car, but it doesn't. It never has its moment in the sun. Like you look mm-hmm. at Mercedes, there are some tracks that it suits even with the upgrades that they're bringing, it's never looked amazing, but there are tracks that you think, oh, it was the best of the rest today. McLaren has now made a massive jump where, you know, at, uh, at Spielberg, it looked decent behind the Mercedes. Uh, in um, Silverstone was best of the rest. Uh, this race just passed best of the rest and three very different tracks. So we know that the upgrade package is, you know, consistently able to perform well at different uh, circuits. Ferrari has never had that that moment in the sun. You know, Aston Martin started the season really well. They haven't sort of maintained that performance, mm. but they snagged quite a few points early on from that. Ferrari yeah, just... Yeah, it's, it's bizarre because, like I was saying, you know, it just seems like they're going in the wrong direction with things. Um, we spoke, uh, you said before, sorry, about how, you know, Ferrari last year seemed like they could have potentially been the team to, you know, take it to Red Bull and potentially win that world championship. And that definitely seemed that way at the start of the season. Um, I think last year they probably had the best car on paper. Um, and I think their strategy cost them a lot towards probably the middle part of the season. Um, and then as a result of that, they took gambles that they probably didn't need to take in, in the race and, and in their strategies. And, and that definitely, in my opinion, costs them a chance of, you know, potentially being world champions again. Um, you know, like you said, we've seen Mercedes take a massive leap the last two, three races. McLaren have taken a massive leap in the last two, three races since their upgrades, you know, and so their progression in, in their development of the car is, is obviously working. You mentioned Aston Martin. They come out this year you know, pretty much 100% committed to their car at the start of the season, you know, throwing everything at it uh, for the first half of the season and probably utilizing all of their resources for their their cap the first half, meaning they had nothing left for the rest of the season. So now we're seeing everyone catch up to them. Um, And yeah, it just seems like Ferrari either haven't been able to match those upgrades or just have completely fallen off the wagon in terms of um, performance. It's, it's, um, I think this race was such like a little microcosm for their season. There was Mm. three moments I really thought, okay, this is, yeah, the way that they're stringing this, this race together is is really a head scratcher. There was one moment when uh, at the start of the race, um, I always get the two names wrong, uh, confused. Uh, Carlos was running, (laughs) he was running behind Charles but he was running the softer tyres, so I yep. thought, oh, they'll let him through because he's definitely obviously running a different strategy. And, and they sort of go. left him. They yeah. sort of left him, yeah, you know, in, in the same position. I thought, this is an odd decision. And then we saw um, when uh, Carl, when when Charles came in, we saw the tyre the fumble, which gave him a very long stop. And then um, coming out of the pits, we saw then Charles have a speeding penalty in the next pit stop. Uh, trying to sort of make time on uh, Carlos. It's just like three totally different mistakes that, that you know. That's, that's what, 
they just been very consistent at is making mistakes and you know i don't know if that's down to management or maybe um you know the staffing me- mechanics and obviously engineers going on at ferrari but from what i can understand is they often go very much country orientated for who works for Ferrari. You don't often see a lot of people from, you know, Great Britain or Germany, um, you know, work for Ferrari. They often pick Italian, you know, countrymen to work there. And I wonder if at this point in time in the sport, there's just not enough, you know, brain power from outside of the world, helping, you know, them to steer steer the ship uh, in the right direction. You see, like, you know, Mercedes obviously have um, a lot of German-based people involved in the brand, but they've also got a lot of, uh, you know, Great Britain. um, You know, I think I actually read somewhere that they've got a few US, you know, mechanics and engineers on board now, and and they're branching out throughout the world, looking looking elsewhere for what, what, you know, can potentially get them back on track. And um, I don't see that going on at Ferrari. I, I just, when I see Ferrari, I, th- I feel like I f- see a team that is run very much of passion and emotion yeah. and so probably true. not much, not much or not as much on, uh, I don't know what the word would be. Like ingenuity, maybe? Just systems, like the mm. right systems in place. I mean, it is an interesting point that they do, that they are very, you know, Ital- a very Italian team and that's probably where the emotion and passion yeah. comes from. I just don't think that that's an excuse for, budget that they mm. bring in like the fact that they can't this is now the second team principle that hasn't been able to iron out such simple like they're very simple fixes mm. you know so it's like mclaren in the last two or three races has got their shit together very quickly in yeah, terms 100%. of great pit, pit stops for their team um and especially well, now like it doesn't look like it but the mid the midfield teams the, the mclaren mercedes ferrari even aston, aston martin, martin yeah they're so close so true that these mistakes are really what's costing them races especially yeah. when when track position is key um, so true. on a track like that it's it's mm. such a like it, i think <clears throat> they were even showing that the pace that ferrari had during the race was very comparable with the front runners mm. they just shot themselves in the foot but that, they seem to do points. that you know too often and, and this is what i said before they're very consistent at fumbling the ball you know we look at even our world in in australian motorsport and in v8 supercars where you got a team like brad jones racing and, and by no means are these guys you know the best or should they be front runners but so often does their strategy and and pit stop you know um success you know lead to on track success you know we've seen i think for over the last five or six years they've won the pit stop challenge um which obviously brings a little bit of revenue to the team, which they use to put back into the team. Um, you know, but this, it's a perfect example of, you know, a team utilizing everything they have to excel on the racetrack. And, and like I said, you often see them, you know, come out more times in, than, you know, not in front or very rarely making pit stop mis- mistakes. Um, whereas Ferrari, it seems like just about every single one of their races that, you know, they've they've either had a DNF in or maybe they finish outside of the points, outside of the top five. They had very strong chances of getting podiums and their their pit stop team let them down. Or they made an error or they had a long stop or, you know, their strategy was not on par yeah. to that of Red Bull, Mercedes, McLaren and even Aston Martin in the last few races. So it's like the different sections of the team have have different turns of 
jeopardizing their race chances mm. if it's not the race, <laughs> if it's not the drivers it's you know the pit stops if it's not the pit stops yeah. it's the strategy and then there was even a, a very interesting point that they're making after the race and it was um it's a team where like carlos calls his own strategy pretty much and then the and then the team go the team said to him he said i want to do this and they said good choice mm. and then at the same time Charles is always asking questions and they're always getting saying, we'll get back to you in a couple of laps. Like there's such yeah. a reaction. Thing. There's no like, <laughs> but in F1, you don't have a couple of laps, you know, the second that's right, yeah. you start have, to you fumble the ball and you make the wrong strategy call or, um, you know, that lap that you might have, the tires could completely, you know, soften or fall off a cliff or, you know, you could lose for three seconds a lap um, to your competitors, which you just don't, can't afford that. You're talking about a sport which is measured in milliseconds. You know, these guys are monitoring the pit stops to the absolute centimeter of the racetrack. Um, you know, where other cars are going to come out, who's, who's, you know, who they're racing against. Um, you know, all of these things are factors in in pit stops. And for me, it just doesn't seem like Ferrari have a solid understanding of what they need to be doing or the direction they need to be going in. And that's obviously on track and of course off it. I think, I think there is some serious soul searching in leadership that that team yeah. has to establish. But, but, well, I think this season's a write-off, not in terms of where they can finish, but in terms of obviously competing mm. for a championship, but it is a time now, I think where it's going to be imperative that they get their ducks in a row. So that they, they can they have a, yeah. a, a you know a good platform going forward. Next point, I think that I was this was impressive for me because me and Harry after the last race had said it would be interesting how McLaren can perform at Hungary mm. because the track is so different to Silverstone, so many different characteristics, a much a, a much uh, more I'd say aero dominant track in terms of not much straights, a lot of, you know, longer corners and a lot of uh, flip corners. And completely different layout too, elevation and modulation, you know, that changes it's, everything in, in setup. Um, temperature of the actual, correct. you know, race so day. Yeah. And the fact that they were able to, uh, although Piastri sort of faded a little bit at the end, uh, which is somewhat, understa- it's understandable from sort of even how he sort of laid out what happened in his race. Mm. The fact that they came second, you know, uh, Perez wasn't able to catch up to Norris, even though he finished, he started in the top 10. Mm. Uh, that car has serious pace. It does. It does. It's and not a, um, It's not a Red Bull. Yeah. Them, their qualifying pace was exceptional. They're doing a really great job of putting the car where it needs to be. They understand they probably don't have race winning pace, but they've worked very hard over the last probably seven months to get to a point where they're capable of contesting podiums. Um, and obviously front row lockouts, you know, that they've got a car that's potentially capable of securing a few pole positions or, you know, second, third, fourth on the grid to give them a solid, you know, chance, two, a two-car chance of winning or potentially placing. Um, a two-car chance of scoring mass- of scoring yeah. decent points yeah. is, mass- is massive for the position uh, that that team is in. Have the you ever seen... Such a big turnaround in in a championship where you know the mid season changes have worked so massively compared to this season. I've never I've never seen a upgrade package mm. 
change a car so drastically because yeah. i was thinking about this mercedes is a better car than it was at the start of the year so true oh it's, and it's, it's, and it's night and still, day better it's night and day better but the fact that we're not talking about that mm. because mclaren has been able to make such a bigger jump mm. um like I, I feel like we're sort of getting lost on the fact of how big of a jump it is like they were a team that had 30 points through mm. 10 races well they were finishing they were, 15th and 16th, you know, when maybe they might scraggle a couple points in the back of yeah. the 10. They had, a few, they had a few tracks that suited them and they got some somewhat decent points. Mm. But to go from 30 points between two, oh, I don't even know if PS, oh, he had points in Australia, 30 points between two cars in 10 races mm-hmm. to getting adding 50 something, 50 points in two. Mm. in two is massive. And then you look at the, the way that the chips are falling with Aston mm. Martin, they can score three points a race now and McLaren's going to chase them down to the end of the year because that car hasn't, hasn't evolved, but to springboard Ferrari, Aston Martin and Mercedes Mm. in one upgrade package and also then be the car that looks like if anyone's going to snag a race from Red Bull, if they fumble, maybe it's a rain race. It it looks like it's going to be them is huge. It's so then, if this is the case, there's still rumours that I think Lando Norris's contract is up at the end of the year. Next year, I, I highly doubt Carlos Sainz is staying at Ferrari. You know, you got probably a, a quieter, wild, silly season. If you're a Lando Norris right now, or even I guess an Oscar Piastri, I guarantee you that kid's getting offers left, right, and center. But if you're an Oscar Piastri or a Lando Norris right now, with the current progression of McLaren, would you stay at McLaren or would you be looking elsewhere? I, I can't see why they would be looking elsewhere in where how good this car is looking mm. now. It's just um like why like why would you want to move? That's the thing. Like I think I think Ferrari's drivers are gonna hold station. They're not gonna get paid that well anywhere else. Mercedes will only change if like the, the th- I think the game that everyone's playing is they need to all keep this the strongest two drivers they can keep. Mm. So McLaren is in a great position now. Ferrari, if they can get the car right, is in a great position. Mercedes is in a great position. Red Bull is in a shaky position, I, I feel. And Aston Martin is in a, in a shaky position from their own making. Like there's, there's fixes Red Bull can make, but I don't know if Aston Martin's going to do the same thing. So in, in terms of McLaren going forward, I think they found a team leader under Andreas Stella who has been able to pull the, re- the the minimal resources he's had at his disposal to develop on that car something that works and they have got new teams people coming in that they've invested heavily for next year they've got I can't remember who it is coming in from is it James Key from who used to be at Toro Rosso coming in Yeah he was at Toro Rosso Yeah so they've got they've got big thing oh you know, important pieces coming in. They've got this wind tunnel that Ant's been talking about for a year coming online mm. next year. You know, they've got stuff happening next year that is only going to further propel them forward. And we we can't forget that the power that the name McLaren has in the sport over really even over Mercedes. Like I feel like when you look at Formula One, Ferrari is the top dog, but in terms of name, but other than mm. that, if I was, if McLaren was able to be the second best 
or the team pushing Red Bull. That's a that's a massive draw for them. Like the the history that McLaren has, Senna, Hakkinen, you know the uh, the James Hunt, um, James Hunt, Nicky Lauda, Frost, yep. Lauda, um, Ross. So many you know champions have come through there. Mm. Hamilton, yeah, uh, it's uh, such a draw. So I would I don't think that they'd be looking at moving. I'm just like, I feel like what we've seen in the last three races is this car is not going anywhere. It's not disappearing in races. It's, it can do it's only probably going to get stronger. And this is probably where I thought maybe Aston Martin were heading. Um, but there is obviously rumors that they won't be in the sport from 2026. I, I don't know actually what's going to happen. Maybe they're giving up their license um, or maybe they're moving be- that onto another brand. But that would be interesting because they're spending a lot of money on their they, new headquarters. It does seem like they're well, they used well, it to get in, sell cars, and get out. Um, but, but you got to uh, think that the, in 2026, this all changes again. You know, where did you read this? Source. I thought Aston Look, Martin. Was I, I read it. I read it somewhere. I can't say it was a reliable source, um, but I did read it, and that like raised my eyebrow because I thought, you know, they were heading in a, in a good direction. I also read the same thing about Alfa Romeo. So, you know, take, take out of both of those what you will. But again, I, I'm not too sure how reliable this horse was. It's just something that I heard. Um, well, Aston, I would say, Aston, I don't think is, well, from the amount of money that they're spending at the moment, mm. I can't see them leaving. And I, I feel like even the amount of points they've scored this year, it's, it's far exceeds anything they've ever got before. So this um, is the interesting thing about F1, right? How many yeah. more uh, Aston Martins, and I know you don't see sports cars very common, but how many more Aston Martins do you see, let's say, p- flopping up on Instagram, even on the streets? I see quite a lot. Uh, yeah. You know, and maybe that's my targeted audience on on Instagram and that, but I see like a lot of people, you know, slamming Aston Martin DB9s or... um you know, just driving these cool cars. And, and to be completely honest, the cars themselves, even from a road road point of view, look so much better than they did, let's say, five years ago. And I'd say the, the technology that they're gathering and the resources that they're gathering from Formula One, they're putting into their, you know, development department in their road cars, which we've seen Ferrari, McLaren, you know, Mercedes do in the past. And I think this whole launch for them to go to F1 has been a major success. I think they've accomplished what they probably needed to, which is getting people to buy Aston Martins again. You know, unless they're looking at winning world championships in the future, which, you know, potentially could happen under the new rules. But I don't really see much point for them to keep throwing hundreds of millions of dollars at something that they probably won't win at, um, not unless they do come up with that groundbreaking development like Red Bull seem to have found. Um, I think I think Aston Martin as a team, and I've talked a lot of shit about them, not shit about them, I just, I've been very critical of them as a team, but the, what they're doing I feel like is all putting in building blocks in places that mm. – are going to become very important in the future. They've built yeah. themselves a, a new state-of-the-art factory, which has been a massive upgrade sort of from the facilities that uh, Force India had been using before that. True. Uh, when the new engine uh, regulations come in, they've now uh, signed a 
contract with Honda to be the only Honda team. So they're getting their own power unit, which is what most works teams mm. well, they 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 want to do because they think that's what gives them a competitive advantage. And it can if Honda get their, you know, hit the ground running, which we well, saw the engine. Yeah. They've won we, the last two. Are Red Bull still with Honda? They are at the moment, but by the time the new rules roll around, they'll be with Ford. Yeah. So Ford will be with Red Bull. Uh, Alfa Romeo is leaving. They're going to become Audi. So that's we all know that. Yeah. But when I see Aston Martin, the, the only thing that I question about what they're doing is, and maybe it's just because I know at the moment it's it, it is what it is. They need a second driver in that car who is on the level, or they need drive two drivers in that car that are on the level of the other big teams. Mm. And Lance Stroll, no matter how good I th- or how much better uh, how much credit I give him that people don't give him yeah he's I agree I do a- give him a lot of credit but he's still no Fernando Alonso or Sebastian Vettel he's not in he's not he, he doesn't he's not in the league of the drivers that yeah. are in those other t- other teams um so if they want to make the the next steps I feel like that is the the, the sort of next step they need to take is yeah that's a that- that's a good point you know and and I think We've seen, like we said, McLaren take that step. We've seen Mercedes, sorry, Mercedes take that step again. Um, you know, this is probably the same spot that we saw Mercedes in, you know, early 2010s, 2011, 2012, contesting for a couple of podiums here and there, but relatively a third or fourth string team. Um, and we've seen them take those inroads in their development to, you know, figure out that next Potentially seven-time eight. Well, they won eight, didn't they? Eight-time world champions. That, so that's right. And the thing, you know, is I think, that, yeah, that definitely teams like McLaren and and Aston Martin, and um, obviously Mercedes are taking the right step. Which goes back to the point of Ferrari. They've just done the complete opposite. Well, you look at you look at the the, the big decision that uh, Mercedes made, which was getting rid of comfortable Botas and bringing in George. Church, which is which was a and and Botas was much closer to level, to Hamilton's level than Stroll is to uh, Alonso's level, but they they realised the importance of having the strongest lineup they could have if for any other reason than not giving someone else George Russell, who was a mm. you know who's who's great. Um, so I think Aston Martin that is the big boy step that they need to take. Who who would you put in that car? Let's say you Alonso. replace for Stroll. I'd like to see them put a young guy in who's from F2. Do you think like Fittipaldi or something? Or I'm interested with Fittipaldi because he's been he's been in the sport for so long now doing testing. I don't think I don't think it, even like the teams he's been involved with see enough is, in him. Is he Aston's reserve driver? No, he's Haas's reserve driver. Who's Aston's? That's um Dragovic. Dragovic. I've heard good things about him. I wouldn't mind seeing Dragovic have a go. Yeah, but at the same time, when I'm looking at Aston Martin, they don't just need a good driver; they need to mm. generate. They need a generational talent. That's and so you true. Look, you look at the you look at the sort of Formula Two ranks as we speak. There's four drivers in there that are sponsored by Red Bull. There's about I think mm. there's three drivers that are sponsored by Alpine. You know, these these big teams are putting the money in to finding finding the next the next thing. But next Oscar Piastri, yeah. Like you look at you look at the way that um, say what you want about Alpine, how they nurtured Piastri through the system. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and even you look at RP now with, I can't remember the other two drivers, but like Jack Dewan's involved. Jack Dewan. And the two other fellows who are involved in that uh, sort of that tussle that, you know, they're, they're investing in finding a great talent. I just don't see Aston doing that. If they, I feel if like, gonna- I feel like while we're on the Jack Dewan front, we should at least acknowledge the fact that he had a unbelievable win in F2. He has been on a, he's been on a, he started the season was quite poor. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think he, there was a few things that weren't in his control. Yeah. But ever since we've sort of hit the European leg, tracks that he's more comfortable with or he mm. knows he's looked a lot better, a lot more consistent. He had a, well, he, he had, the, he had a couple of mechanical failures, didn't he earlier in the season? And that's, that's led him to be so far down the order, but really he's been one of the best on the grid. It's just unfortunate with um, some mechanical issues. Oh, I just want to, I just want to see him push like now that mm. He had, a, he had a sprint race win last race. Mm-hmm. He had the, you know, the, the feature win this week. Yeah. I just want to see him push mm. on. You know, I don't want to see him have a have a, <clears throat> a, a mediocre week. I want to see him sort of yeah. take that I, I agree. I, I, um, I rate Jack. I think he's very talented. And I, I think he's probably, I mean, there's a lot of talent on that F2 grid, but I think he's probably the most talented on that grid. He's certainly the standout for me this season. Like I said, he had a few mechanical issues, but I, I, I think I it is in general, you know, a pretty watered down field compared to what maybe we've seen in the last probably decade of F2. And I think I it's it's probably highlighting... Down or if it's mm, competitive because it is yeah. very competitive this year. It is competitive. It but like I'm also talking about like maybe the big names that have come through the sport, you know, in F3 and F2 in the past. And it seems like a lot of them have either, you know, moved on to, well, there's, you know, only 20 seats in F1, but a lot of them have, you know, the good ones have moved on to F1, the, you know, mediocre slash, you know, half talented ones have moved on to maybe IndyCar or GT, you know, and we're left Formula with... E. We're left with, yeah, Formula E. We're left with probably about, you know, three or four front runners that have a potential of maybe making F1. Whereas I think in the past, we, you know, pretty much anyone in that top 10 could have a really, you know, really solid argument for making a seat in F1. Um, but I, I certainly think that Jack, for me, has been the standout in that field. I just hope he, like you said, has a just one solid weekend where he, you know, gets wins every practice session, wins every, you know, wins the qualifying, wins the race easy, and shows to the F1 world that he he deserves an F1 seat. Because um, I think I think he's not far from, you know, being well worthy of an F1 seat. I think one thing that I think we we can be um, all critical, not critical of, but we can forget is it is not normal. It is not the norm for F2 champion who moves to Formula 1 to move through as quickly as the likes of Russell, Leclerc, mm. and then Piastri did. That's that's not the norm. That's the so outlier. True. And I think because they did that all relatively <clears throat> quickly, uh, we, want, we want our drivers to be finished products within one or two years of F2 or if in Yeah, and it's an unrealistic expectation, you know, like... Um, 100%. I link this to... Let's say Declan Fraser in supercars. A lot of people are saying he's underperforming, but he's he's by by far in the fourth best car in that Tickford lineup. 
you know, that that that's rags and bolts compared to what maybe Cam Waters or James Courtney's driving. Um and for me, all I think he has to do is keep that car off the wall, you know, consistently improve and you know, maybe move up a few spaces, a few spots on the grid and just can, you know, continually gradually improve. I don't think anyone's expecting him to go out this year and, and be supercars champion and win races and contest podiums. Cause that would just be completely unrealistic. So I say the same thing for guys like Oscar Piastri and, you know, George Russell, when he was in that Williams and, um, you know, some of these other rookies like Joe Guan Yu, everyone would sit there and go, oh, this guy should be scoring by now. But it, it's such a tough game to be at the front in because it's such a competitive sport, it's probably the most competitive sport in the world. And that's from everything from driving to mechanic, you know, and obviously engineering perspectives. It's got to be one of the most competitive environments in the world. And it takes a long time for you to figure out what you need to do. Well, I think, I think, I think Jack has from watch, watching the last couple of races, he's definitely found some form. Mm. He's not putting himself, he's, he's finishing. Uh, he's not pushing himself to making mistakes. He's finishing where the car can finish. Yeah. And the last two rounds I think has been particularly good. I wouldn't say he's, the cream of the crop of the grid this year because I haven't seen enough. Yeah. Regardless of if there was mistakes or just where the car was in general. But the competition is so close and there's so many races still to go that it can go anyway. Like I feel like the two True. there's two Red Bull drivers who look quite good. The Japanese one, I, I can't remember what it is. Oh yeah. I don't want to, um, want to ruin his name. It's, it sounds like Ayahuasca. I really like him. There's a, a gentleman, Ollie Berman, I think is really yeah. good um, as well. Uh, and Fittipaldi, in, Fittipaldi. The F2, Fittipaldi is, is also really good. Mm. But I don't think it's like a clear cut. I, I just think he might be too many points down to make, make a like, even, even if he makes a charge, mm. um, he's going to need a bit of help. But there's races to go. So I, I just hope that if he can at least string together a decent second half of the year, because I think he's going to do one more year in F2, I, or I, I would guess. You don't I, I think maybe the, well, they're not Renault anymore. Alpine have a place for him? I, I, I would speculate that they probably do. I just, I would, I would say the same thing that I said about Piastri last year. If he was to stay with Alpine, Mm. I think he would be doing reserve driver roles and maybe getting having a seat in the endurance team next year, waiting for one of the contracts to 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 expire. I mean, that wouldn't be a bad spot for me either, to be honest. I just, I, don't, I just, I don't know. I think Alpine will not drop a driver this year if the problems that they keep having in terms of the car, mm. the, the problems that, that they're having with the car, is making it hard. To ju- actually judge the drivers, I, I believe, and I don't. That's think a good point. Pull the plug on someone if they know that they haven't given them the tools. Yeah, that's a good point. Wandered it. What do I you think, think of um, Danny Rick's weekend? I well, I unfortunately fell asleep about lap twenty of the Grand Prix, but dude, it's so awesome to have three Aussies on the grid, and you're going to ask who the third one is, and everyone knows it's Volteri Bottas. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just having a joke. Um. But no, it's it's great to see him back on the grid. I thought he was 
you know, very competitive considering he's been sitting on the couch for the last 12 months. Um, yeah. And even before that, he was in a, a package that just could not deliver. So for him to jump into, you know, into a, um, a car like that and beat his teammate, I think in every session but one was very impressive. Um, you know, we all know what he can do. We all know what he's he was and is capable of. We all know that um, on any given weekend in the right car, he could be the guy. So um, it was really cool to see him back. I I know I've I've uh, already copped a lot of slack for this, but I think his helmet this weekend was terrible. Um, I know he always does wacky uh, helmets, and I know we don't agree on that. <laughs> no, I I, I I didn't hate his helmet, but I I didn't I didn't like it. Yeah, but true. I, did, I, I didn't hate it. But you know what? Well, oh, that was the other boys, wasn't it? In the group chat, yeah, they were all uh, raving on how good it was. I'm thinking it looked like um, nah. something out at Talladega Nights. It reminded me of a um, you know the uh, like the caramel sucky lollies. Yeah, <laughs> like that was that. It looked like that one of those Jolo lollies with yeah, some stickers. Yeah, that's on. a good like, one. That's not bad. I see that. A weird, a weird color. I was like, yeah. But anyway, look, it was awesome to see him. Um, you know, get back in the car and look, if everything keeps going the way it's going with um, Sergio Perez, I think, I think it's already, you know, the ink's already dried out on that one um, where Danny Rick's going to end up next year. But, you know, on that Danny Rick thing, it is for me, it's awesome to see him back, but it's also disheartening for Nick Devries. You know, I always thought he was worthy of an F1 seat. Um, And we were speaking before, you know, how, how long it takes for you to, you know, get your toes in the water and, and to start feeling for it. If we, if we only gave, um, let's, let's, I, I'm very familiar with supercars. So let's just hypothetically say triple eight and Red Bull racing in Australia only gave, you know, Brock Feeney to halfway through last year before they moved him on. You know, we wouldn't I'll see give, the Brock Feeney that we have now. We wouldn't I'll see the guy a, that's capable of winning every race. You know, I think I'll give you a better example because Brock, I think didn't never looked out of. He never no, but like, when I say Brock Feeney, I mean his teammate was winning every race and he was finishing ninth or tenth. You know, yeah, so like, he wasn't reaching his true potential in the first ten races. Do you remember when Cam Waters started at Tickford in the main game? So true. And he, Cam he looked he looked a lot more uh, raw, and yeah. uh, and and even like. Randall, like mm-hmm. they took it, they, they they both took a little bit more time to come into their adjust own, to it, mm. to adjust to it. I think Brock Feeney, because he had that Bathurst supercar, uh, the the Bathurst yeah, wild with, card with super cheap. Yeah, we saw he we, we saw that he had something straight away, and then mm. we knew that he was going to take some time to get there. Whereas when when Waters came in, it was sort of like he's been really good in Super Two, but then very it did true. take him probably two years to really become mm. the guy that we know now. That's and so true. And if you had thought, oh, one year. Yeah. And then groomed him aside, we would have never seen it. But I even like to a- give the driver a year, you know, at the end of the race, at the end of the season, you should be adjusted pretty well to your car. You should be um, pretty comfortable in, in driving it and navigating that to, you know, further up the grid than where you started your season. But for Nick, Nick Devries, you know, he only got 10 races. Uh, I think he got 10, but, you know, and, and for me, that's just not enough time to to get used to, especially in an environment like that. You know, you've got a guy that raced in F2 for so many years and, you know, always ran at the front. I thought he was worthy about 
what, four years ago for a seat. Um, I think that's when the whole squabble of, uh, you know, uh, Mick Schumacher and that was going on. And, and unfortunately, he missed out on a seat, even though at the time I thought he was worthy. I thought he maintained his um, competitiveness. And, you know, we could be talking about a kid that if he was given the right opportunity four or five years ago, yeah, years he, could, ago yeah. Yeah, he could be potentially in a race winning car and, and, and competing for race wins or even it championships. Was, I, you know, I so I like- think... I feel sorry for him the way he's been treated. It's unreal for us Aussies to see, you know, the honey badge back in the sport and uh, smiling again. But, you know, I just think he's been um, the sacrificial lamb, unfortunately. I think it's interesting. Like, I thought, first and foremost, Ricardo, awesome weekend. Great qualifying. Looked comfortable. He looks happy, which mm-hmm. is very important for him. Mm-hmm. He looks fresh and ready to be there had an unfortunate first corner incident that sort of somewhat ruined his race. But then what, what, what he was able to do was get past it, race forward, which is something true. that we haven't seen him do for so long. So true. Actually have a great strategy, get up to 13th in the race, which doesn't seem like much, but coming from the back mm. um, and being able to race up to, you know, 13th in the race, great result for him. Uh, also dropping DeVries as hard as it was, and I said it was harsh, from that perspective, right decision. Yeah, of course. Uh, because they got the best qualifying performance that they had, I think, all year. Mm. They didn't get points, but Danny Rick just looks more comfortable. comfortable. More comfortable. And which was always to be expected. Yeah, that's the sad thing, I think, for DeVries. But the it could also be bad for Yuki as well, because we were talking about this Yuki potentially being maybe the next guy to jump in a Perez's spot. And, um, you know, I I mean, it's only one weekend, but on the weekend, Danny Rick made Yuki look like a first, uh, second grade rookie. So I think there's, I think the the crazy thing is that in the Red Bull stable, Mm. Stappen is untouchable, but that's fine. He's, he's, he has no reason to be touched, but you look at Perez, Perez can come third, second, doesn't matter. He's expected to come second. So we're only going to notice the things he does wrong. Correct. So true. Danny, Which, Danny, unfortunately Danny, for him, he's been doing a lot lately. That well, He hasn't helped himself. No. He, he, has, he has put this problem on himself. Danny Rick is not expected to do anything except beat Sonoda. So yeah. If he beats Sonoda, snags points. Everything he gets he that does, red seat. But everything he does is looked at favorably. He's from the system. The team already loves him. So mm. everything he does is just a tick. He can yeah. only get ticks. And, and from a PR uh, point of view, he's he's probably he's, the most famous guy in F1 right now. He's not even a you know he's not even winning races. So no, from a PR perspective, it's um, I mean it makes so much sense. And then my next question to that would be Liam Lawson to you know replace Ricardo next year. Um. I think it's going to be interesting how the contracts shake up because of how the salary cap or the the salary thing works now. And I, if they're going to drop Perez, I don't know if it's worth it for them to just move him to AlphaTauri to not have to waste that money, I suppose. So the way that the mm. contracts is going to work is going to be interesting. My, my belief is if Danny keeps doing what he's doing, He'll be uh, a Red Bull driver next year. Mm. It will up to be either Perez's decision to go down to AlphaTauri, yeah, or I, leave the team altogether. I think 
I don't teams see like down. you know Red Bull will have a performance clause, and so will the drivers. The drivers will have a performance clause in their contract that if their car doesn't meet their potential, they can leave. Um, and then teams like Red Bull will have that same thing in place. The only difference between a Sergio Perez and uh, Daniel Ricciardo, and I know Daniel Ricciardo comes with money, um, with Optus and and whatnot supporting him, but you know you've got. Um, Sergio Perez, Perez, Perez who has Tel, Telco Rich. or Telmax, which is one of the world's largest brands and telecommunications company. Um, and he also has a Mexican government in support. You know, so he's not short of money. He can buy himself a seat whenever he wants, which he's done in the past. He did that with Salvi, did that with Force India, um, then became Racing Point. You know, he he has done that in the past, bought his way into F1. So, so be it. Because in my opinion, he's belonged on that grid. You know, Red Bull don't need his money though, but I would say that comes with as a package to signing Red Bull. Um, I I don't see how Sergio Perez keeps his seat under any circumstances. Uh, and I'm the biggest Checo fan. I've been supporting him since um, what he did almost did to Alonso in 2012 at Malaysia. <laughs> I've um, been a diehard Perez fan ever since. You know, I had wallpapers of him and whatnot. So. You know, for me to see him struggling the way he is is really disheartening because I know his true potential. But I also think maybe he's moved on from his true potential um, and he's just living in that shadow right now. And unfortunately, I, I don't know if it's um, something that you can fix in the next five races. It's a mental thing. Um, I thought his race this week was yesterday was pretty good. I, his race I, the, is thing good. I, the thing I say with him is that it does like it doesn't matter if his race is good. Like we, mm. we are only, we are only going to notice the bad things. It's so true. And, and the unfortunately the, the, the bad things are you putting a car in a wall at qualifying and, you know, crashing, spinning. Um, but if, if, if he still finishes second and third, I don't think, I don't know if they're going to swallow his contract wholeheartedly if they're good, if they're happy to if they're happy to swallow his contract because he's contracted for next year mm. if he's happy if they're happy to just swallow it and waste that money uh, I can see him leaving but the thing is well Alpha Terry next year is going to be pretty much this year's Red Bull car because they're bringing the te- the team pretty much to England yeah. and they're going to use most of the parts anyway that they which is what they should have done five years ago ten years ago um, but yeah. So if 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 that's the case, he will still be in a very competitive car come next year. If that's if they decide to drop him, mm. I well, think more, it'll be interesting. I think, I think Yuki's, in, in, Yuki's in deserving of a seat in Red Bull. Uh, well, no, well, I if think Yuki before the whole Danny Daniel Rick this year, what's if that? He can't, if Yuki can't outrace no. Danny Rick for the rest of the season, he will be gone. I think even he if should, he beats. Yeah, I think even if he does beat Danny Rick, I, I still think Danny Rick's their guy. No, In a competitive I, package, Danny Rick is is the guy. I think anyone who disagrees with that would probably need a slap in the face because I think, like I said, in, in a competitive car, we saw what he could do against, you know, Vettel. We saw what he could do against Max Verstappen. You know, we saw what he could do against, again, Vettel in a Ferrari. You know, the guy is super talented in the right package. Unfortunately, we haven't been able to see that side of him for the last four years since he left Red Bull. But, you know, he's obviously got that hunger. Otherwise, they wouldn't have given him a seat at Alfa Tori. So, 
what I, what I see happening is Danny is coming for do one job. He's literally the broom that is going to clean out the Red Bull stable. So true. He's, he's the measuring stick for Yuki this year, yep. which Yuki can't beat. He's not going to yep. beat Danny Rick. I don't think so. So that will, that will be the reason that they get rid of Yuki. Yep. It will also be the reason that they move, either move or Perez. remove Perez, yep. depending on what – I think it depends on where he, like how uh, offended he's going to be about it. Yeah, and it will, I, I, I think that's a good point. I never probably considered that, but it is a good they'll point. Ju- they'll just bring in – they'll bring in Lawson or or the other Japanese fella into Alpha Tauri. Zero pressure on them. Danny Rick will hold that seat for a couple of years. He'll be out in a couple of years regardless. Mm. And their Red Bull uh, – what's the word? Junior drivers Ac- that can support Acad- Max. Academy is back on track. Yeah. Um, that's a great point, the Red Bull Academy. And that's, um, you know, what guys like Daniel Ricciardo grew up on. And they come yeah, through this yeah. academy and, and they earn their way into an F1C. That's what they need to bring back. Like what happened to Max Verstappen was rare. You know, he got moved on because Daniel Kvyat was a liability on a racetrack. But, but he, was, he was the right choice. He was obviously the right but choice now that we look back on it. But at but the time, then, he was so immature. 100%. You know, he was so 100%. immature and, and his time did come obviously at the right time. You know, he won a Grand Prix in his debut year. So debut year, I think he was. I can't remember. Won that he Spanish Grand Prix. Race. Yeah. Was it, it was one of his first couple of races. Like his seventh race or something when they moved Kvyat down. Yeah. But, um, you know, that all came, that was all prime timing for him. Guys like Liam Lawson and... um. You know, I guess even if they decide to keep Yuki, whatever, but they're going to have to, they're going to have to really prove themselves to get into that Red Bull seat, and that's how it should be from now on. But also, they're going to get the thing that I think is more important is is Danny Rick's going to be that great reset where mm. he's going to he's going to play second fiddle to Max. He's going to push him. Mm. But I don't think anyone's going to expect him to beat Max. But what he's going to do is he's going to give their next generation of young drivers. Yeah, the time that the time that they need to, if, or time that we all need to see if they can, you know, sink or swim. That's a really good ref- point, man. I actually, um, I probably never really considered the fact that he'd be their broom. Um, but now that you do mention it, it it's does all make conspiracy, a lot of sense. But it seems oh, to make sense. That's all F one <laughs> is, I think. <laughs> yeah. Uh, quickly. Yeah. Alpha, Alpha Romeo. Now, this is a point me and Harriet spoke about last mm. week about. Not just Alpha Mayo in particular, but the 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 battle at the back of the grid. So Alpha Mayo, Williams, Haas, and Alpha Tauri. Mm. Um, all the all the cars in that bottom of the grid. It's a it's a close battle, mm. but all the all the cars have specific strengths and weaknesses. And we said it's going to be dependent on the teams that when they when they have a strength when the track is to their strength to maximize points. And regardless of, of the fact that all the top 10 cars of the race finished, when you look at Alfred, uh, sorry, Alfred, Alfred Romeo, and you look at Alfred Romeo's starting position, qualifying fifth and eighth to leave with no points, Joe ruins the hard work of qualifying at the first corner. Mm. Um, Botas had a, uh, had a problem in the race, well, I can't remember what it was. And you look at the fact that we're now we're going to a track that is very suited to the Williams. They might not have a, tra- uh, a track that is suited to them uh, for a little while and points have gone begging. 
Deezer and even mm. like Haas as well. Haas had a car qualify in the top 10 as well. So these are the, the moments where you think, all right, if I we need to, as a as a smaller team, we need to maximize these races. 100 percent The fact that the Williams car finished ahead of them, regardless of if they scored points or not, shows me so uh tells me so much about sort of the headspace of those teams. It's like, guys, your car is better at this track. We yeah. we know. We know it's better at the track. You can't afford, you know, long pit stops. Well, this is the thing that I was talking about that, you know, teams like um, Red Bull, Mercedes, McLaren, they don't seem to have these pit stop areas. And I know they have in the past, but they don't seem to have these consistent mistakes that teams like Ferrari, you know, Haas, Alfa, Romeo seem to have. And I mentioned, obviously, the BJR. You know, they're, they're not a top-running team, but they seem to figure it out, ways to maximize on their strategies. Seems like, to me, Alfa Romeo are a very similar basket case to that of Ferrari, and, and they, they are run by pretty much the same people. You know, they, they don't maximize their opportunities, and, and that's a big thing in motorsport that probably not a lot of people understand. I think it's quite simple. You put your foot on the gas and you turn a steering wheel. But their opportunities are, like you say, beating Haas on track or out-qualifying and getting a better starting grid with that maximum chance of getting points. You know, we're talking about the difference from, you know, ninth to 10th in the champ- in the team's championship is $55 million or something in prize pool. You know, so that money revenue goes into that team. It's massive for them and they can grow um, and expand considerably with with that prize money. And I think what Williams has shown us in the last couple of eight or over the last half year is that it doesn't take much. It doesn't take much to fix the, the leaks, you know, the True. controllable leaks in your boat. So Williams mm-hmm. have instigated a, a team principal who's come from Mercedes. Yep. So you'd expect it's very efficient. Their pit stops have always been relatively good. Their strategy calls have become better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, one upgrade strategy, sort of like what McLaren has done to a lesser degree, has accentuated the strength of that car. So the argument I feel with Alfa Romeo, with Haas, and with Alfa Tauri is doesn't really hold water mm. because we can see a team that was worse than them half a year ago has also done a McLaren in terms of jump the pecking order I think a, a higher factor than one team. I think the idea of Alfa Romeo was to support Ferrari. Um, Alfa Romeo is supposed to be the, the, is supposed to be the Alfa Tauri of Ferrari. Yeah, so true. And and for me, you know, that's that was obviously the point of Alfa, Alfa Romeo, you know, to support Ferrari because Ferrari have never really had a, a second fiddle team that can play you know, to Ferrari's strengths. Whereas you see like Red Bull, they've they've always had Alpha Tori or um uh Toro Rosso in the past. You know, we had um Mercedes with Williams back in their dominant years. Williams were obviously developing engines and developing the car for Mercedes. Um and then, uh, and then um Aston Martin 
uh, was it Racing Point and Force India sort of became Mercedes yeah. pseudo. So true. And they well. did too. They had the two teams. Um, Williams, I remember when Bottas was in a Williams, he won in Bahrain. You know, he was very competitive in that Williams. And we're not talking that long ago um, that Williams potentially could have been the next big thing in, in the motorsport if, if you know, the um, the Apple landed in, you know, in the right spot. But if they'd invested for probably. me, you know, this battle at the back right now, it seems like, well, I mean, it seems like Williams have got it figured out. You know, I think the direction they were heading in with, um, you know, uh, what's her name? Claire, Claire Williams um, was obviously the wrong direction. And, and they went in a already, they were already in a spiral, but they went into a deep spiral when Frank passed away. And I lost all control of the actual direction of their team. Um, and they were bought out by, I think, an American company, Delta, maybe. Dal- Dalton Capital. That's the one. And, um, you know, it seems like their direction is they want to get back to that mid-pack and start working on developing their car to potentially win races in the future. You know, um, and I think um, that's got to be the mindset for a Formula One team. You've got to always look to be progressing whereas to me alfa romeo doesn't look like it's going to improve it just looks like they just want to stay the same bide their time ride the wave and get out of the sport as quickly as they got into it it's a sad thing because like you can see that there is potential there like the the qualifying pace has been great sometimes even the race pace has been in races where they make a mistake their race pace is still really competitive they just lose too much ground um I, mean, I think Zhou Guan Yu's been really good too. Like, I think he's a very underrated, I guess I still call him a rookie, but, you know, like to have a teammate like Voltri Bottas who's come from a race-winning outfit to, you know, obviously this car and to be pretty comparable to him is, is you know, a true testament to his, his talent. I think Zhou's quite talented. It would be sad if, if he left the sport, which I can see happening. Um, but then you again, who, who would you put in that car? I think there's a there's plenty of drivers who can move into that car. Really, like yeah. that's not like that's not a car that you're going yeah. to 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 compete for a it's win. It's a car you're going to learn. I just feel like Joe. I've been saying he needs a race where he sort of puts his stand down and says, True. "You know, I've, I've I'm coming." Kind of moment, mm. and the way he qualified this race gave him, I think, the best the best opportunity he's ever had. Yeah, at a track that is very hard to overtake. Mm. So, with some decent strategy. He might have fallen from fifth, mm. but he could have may- maybe maintained a point and had a decent race. And instead, he gets he he stalls on the on the start. Understandable. There might have been a car problem. They were saying, "Fair enough, these mm. things happen." But to then, you know, keep that snowball rolling by bumping out backwards throughout the race. Yeah, it's just like guys. I know that you know it's 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 it, what you're doing is is immensely hard. I understand that. Mm. But you're putting yourself in the spot. Like we're not asking you to be the, in the top twenty races in the world. You, you are you are putting yourself there. Mm. So you you have to then be put under the scrutiny that we give everyone else. Very true. Uh, and the, I just feel um, like you missed the opportunity. The next one is that Spa. So I think Spa is next. Okay. And it's going to be interesting. I feel like the 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 the, the cool points are Red Bull's going to win. If everything goes to plan. Yeah, Red Bull will um, win. The only question is how much. By how much. That's fair <laughs> enough. I'm, inter- I'm interested to see if we get weather, because we usually yeah. get weather from there. 
that can spice it up. I want to see if McLaren can keep this going. That will be fantastic. I want to see if Mercedes can respond. Like there's so many cool little points and that between Mercedes and now McLaren. So Mercedes, Ferrari, Aston, McLaren, that little battle Mm. I think is fascinating enough to keep the season for me interesting. So true. Regardless, regardless of what happens with Max. What's your, um, what's your top five prediction? Cause I know the top three is too easy. You're just going to put two Red Bulls in there. So what's the top five prediction? The next race. Yeah. For the, Um, for the Grand Prix. I think it's going to be Max, Oscar. Okay. Oh, I like that. Max, Oscar, George, or Perez, and then Lando and Hamilton. That's pretty good. Well, I'm going to make a bold prediction as well. I'm going to go Max. You're breaking. You're breaking. Um, that, that's a brave pick. That is. Yeah, I um I went with the uh, underdog for the next underdog. race. Yeah, the dollar dollar zero one favorite. Um, yeah, it's unlike me. No, look, I'm going to go Max. I'm going to go. I'm hoping Checo gets his um his act together. So I'm going to go Checo. I'm going to go Hamilton. Let's go Oscar Piastri and Lando Norris. I think Oscar's going to get one up on him. Um, let's yeah, because I don't think he's beaten him this year. Not, not Oscar. <laughs> I don't think so. He uh, might. Uh, he might. He might even erase that. Yeah, maybe. I think he finished McLaren. like eighth or something, and Norris finished ninth or tenth. But I'm sure Norris has had. I reckon. Had um. The biggest mover for me, obviously, Lando Norris getting on the podium, but the biggest mover for me since the start of the season has been Oscar. And for him to adapt so quickly to, you know, Lando Norris, who so many people link him to, you know, the same sort of talent as George Russell and Max Verstappen, for a kid in his first year after having, not to mention a year out of the sport, literally sitting on the couch watching these guys race, um, for him to be within a couple of tenths, like he's only like a tenth off Lando in just about every session for him to be that close to him. is so impressive. And this is, and this is also the great reminder of the sport before his upgrade, he looked ordinary average. Yeah, he did too. He looked average. Logan so, Sargent so before their upgrade also looked very average. And Do you think upgrade, he's improved? Logan. Yeah. I think he's improved massively. Okay. The, the, the fact that even this week before his engine failure, he was in front of uh, Albon. Not Albon. Albon was ahead of him, but he was in front of some of the passes and Alpha Tauris on mm. pace, and he was mm. actually pushing to take over uh, Hulkenberg um, before his accident. I didn't really see, like, probably the Formula One potential for Sergeant when he came into it. <laughs> He's up against it because I don't think he was ready for it. Yeah, like, I but think, I, I, think I definitely think that maybe he's raised an eyebrow on some of his performances, been relatively close to Elbon, you know, an ex-Red Bull driver. Um, I think, I think, well, I'm hoping that guys like he and, you know, Joe Guan Yu um, can figure it out because I do think now that I, like, I, I'm obviously thinking about them that they deserve to be on a grid. But for me, I see a lot more, um, what's the word? A lot more work to do for guys like Sargent. I think he's got yeah, a lot more to do to impress the F1 paddock that he he deserves to be there. You know, if we, we see Nick Devries get moved on halfway through the season, what's to say, 
you know, he's not next on a chopping block. So I, that is true, but he's in a much more forgiving team. Yeah. Like, and that, and that is also a, an important one. I think that a lot of drivers fail to probably uh, correctly think about when they sign with teams. Mm. Like what is your, ex- what is the expectation that you need to fulfill for that team? Like well, Sergeant's expectation mm, this year, his only expectation races. is just to learn. Yeah. And, and as long as, uh, so as long as the upgrades that uh, the team is getting uh, and his performances sort of correlate with the steps that Albon makes, I think uh, like if Albon finishes, I think he finished eighth, two races ago, Sergeant finished 11th. I think mm. Albon finished ninth. Sergeant finished 11th. Mm. That's not him finishing 17th and 18th True. like he was before that. So as long like as we making... saw, um, who was George Russell's teammate? Um, oh, uh, Latifi. So when Latifi, Latifi. Never, never progressed. He never even got close to the top 10, whereas, you know, George Russell no. was Mr. Saturday. So that's right. So as long as I think Sergeant keeps uh, progressing at, at sort of like a comparable like uh, graph to Albon. I think he'll be fine because I've seen mm. more from him in the in the last four races. Yeah, that's a good point. And and um, I saw from Latifi. Yeah, I, I think maybe I need to personally watch him a little bit closer because I think you're right. I think there is something there. Um, one last point I, I noticed um, on your little notes that you sent me before. You mentioned SVG, right? Yes. And he's uh, he's um, bringing a buddy this time. <laughs> SVG is going back to NASCAR, which so I did. Cool. I mean, I think it's fantastic. I, I didn't see it happen. I, well, so I soon. Happening. I didn't see it happening because no one said nothing about it, but mm. it makes a lot of sense. And I think I think the sort of um, publicity that Brody got probably got the teams and SVG talking. And I got think it was done again. the second they crossed that pavement in um, Chicago. Uh, but in Chicago. They're I mean, very secretive, these boys, these days, aren't they? They don't give much up. So. Well, Someone's paying the bill for it, so they got to get that, make sure that money's coming before they're going to say anything. But how good is it that? And it's another, it's another proper circuit. It's not an oval, mm. so the it's going to be as fair as it can be, I suppose, for our drivers going back at a track that they don't really know. But it's, I was thinking, um, how good is it for this, like for the uh, year that supercars is having, that at least there is probably the most exposure to our drivers that there has ever yeah, been. Yeah, this is the best part is the exposure, <laughs> but it's it's their Achilles heel, unfortunately, um, for, the, for, the, for supercars. For and, and I know I've been very critical on supercars in this season <laughs> this year. <laughs> Negative Nancy. Critical would Anthony. be the probably um, nicest way an- to put it. But You're the Anthony of supercars. <laughs> Come on, dude. No, um, no look, I... Uh, it is their Achilles heel because it's bringing exposure to our series. It's bringing exposure to our drivers. The only problem with it is that our drivers are also being exposed to other forms of motorsport. Um, and it's maybe, well, there's, there's two things to this. Our racing fans are being exposed to NASCAR, which is a true entertainment platform. Um, and maybe a limelight that they never have before. Obviously, Marcus, Marcus Ambrose went, to NASCAR before him, I think it was Dick Johnson. You know, we had, we do have history in the sport in NASCAR, um, but but it was never as easily accessible nah, as it is. This now. is ridiculous. Um, every single person who is a motor racing fan, whether you like the dirt, whether you like you know the bitumen, whether you like Formula One or supercars, every single person 
saw what Shane Van Gisbergen did in Chicago. He was the most tweeted about um, person that week. Well, I'm, I want to give um, you some in, insight into how crazy this is. Most of our YouTube videos get, on a good day, 50 views. Yeah. And maybe we get to nearly 100 views. Yeah. Our video we released of SVG got 2,700 views. Wow, man. That's On awesome. a little bitchy podcast. Like that shows how much crazy reach. That's so cool, man. I People like I um SVG. I um you know I I know Giz like he's a mate of mine, but I unfortunately think he um yeah like I might it might not be possible to get him now because he might be living in America on the podcast. But I, no, I, look um I I, I what he did in Chicago was honestly just breathtaking i i still am lost for words for it um you know you got guys like max verstappen and you know mark weber and all that messaging going what the hell just happened um we're watching this you know kiwi kid who races you know tin tops in australia win his nascar debut um you know uh, it's just unreal and again this is where like there wouldn't have been a motor racing fan in the world that wasn't watching that race. So everyone now knows how exciting NASCAR is. Everyone knows that it's a really awesome um, package to watch. It's very entertaining. And, you know, a lot of the drivers now want to go compete in it. So I'm sure guys like Cam Waters, Will Brown, you know, we know Brody Kostecki's looking elsewhere, but some of our drivers are probably shopping around right now overseas. and, And I think that could be a bad thing for supercars. The other thing could also be bad is that, our fans for supercars, which have been dedicated to this, you know, to make rivalry for the last 50 years, have now realized how bloody cool NASCAR is. And I bet you find that supercar ratings start to take a hit and the NASCAR ratings in Australia go up. I think that it could be a possibility. Mm. But I also think there will be plenty of fans who, if they watch one Restrictor plate oval race mm-hmm. also realize that the oval racing mm, is true NASCAR, is, is in itself true NASCAR, but so also true. can be particularly more bo- like a lot more boring than what the the, the circle I, racing. I struggle to watch oval racing, like I know I watch Daytona and that every year, but. I think only because of the spectacle of it. You know, it's the same as that, why like, Formula One fans watch Monaco. It's boring like, racing at best. That's exactly and um, like that's we watch I mean. it for do the you, spectacle of it. But Do you think, uh, 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 say, like a fledgling NASCAR fan who watched that race at – so the spectacle you get at Chicago or even one of these the, – the Indianapolis road circuit they're going to race at in a couple of weeks, mm. the spectacle you get there is so different. It's like a different sport from the – oval racing which is the majority of the season and then mm. also the all the important playoff races are all on ovals as well mm. there's a map there's there is like with supercars you know that no matter where you're going the racing formula stays the same like the same whereas nascar you sort of have a few oval, I... a shit ton of oval races a few circuit mm. races and one street race like there's three disciplines involved in that which is great for our drivers going there to compete in those specific mm. races, but to actually convert someone to the oval racing itself, I think is a much 
much oh, it's a prospect. it's a different ball game. You know, we saw Marcus Ambrose struggle heavily with this. He was a king on the on a circuits, but come oval time, he mid pack at best. I think his best ever result. I think maybe he got a win on his last season. I can't quite. I don't, I don't think I don't think he got an oval win ever. I think he might okay. have got a couple top tens. Yeah, but uh, so many people. You know, rate Marcus as one of the best drivers ever in supercars. You know, certainly my old man speaks very highly. Who's that? <laughs> no, certainly my old man speak very highly of him. Um, and and a lot of the guys that grew up racing, you know, Marcus, Steve Johnson, Craig Baird, and all that, they they all speak very highly of Marcus that he is one of the best. Um, and he went over there and what he was able to accomplish in NASCAR in a short time that he was there, you know, on the circuits was, you know, amazing. Um, he was average at best on on the ovals, but it's a different it's a different practice. And if you know if our boys get a call up to go potentially race in the ovals, it will be very interesting to see how a guy like you know Shane Van Gisbergen goes, because obviously we we rate him as one of our best drivers of all time, and I think the world sees that as well. I think he'll um, he's got a very strong candidacy for probably top five drivers of the year. I think he got tenth this year. Um, in the global spectrum of, you know, driver rankings. So I think his win in Chicago puts him very high on that list. Well, this if, he is was, if he's I... able to convert a race win on an oval, then I'm convinced he's the best. Well, then this is going to be an interest. This is why I wrote End Friends, because we know Brody Kostecki from our sport. Mm-hmm. If they didn't even know who Shane Van Gisbergen was, they're not going to know who Brody Kostecki was, which is fair enough. Mm-hmm. But what I think what... Uh, Shane's great performance has done is a it's shined a spotlight on the sport, mm-hmm. it's shined a spotlight on him. But now Brody going there, mm. whether he whether he wants the smoke or not, has definitely got like you know he's got expectation that people are looking he has at to be as what, good. And well, especially if especially if, yeah. if NASCAR fans all of a sudden decide to look up supercars right now and they see Brody Kostecki's ahead of Shane in the supercar standings. That's right. Like you know, he's going to have a lot of pressure right off the bat to perform. And and dude, I've been with Brody. I've been with Shane on a hot lap, and both of those boys are just as talented as each other. So there's absolutely no doubt in my mind, Brody can't do what Shane just did. I've got no doubt that he's capable of it. I think the pressure probably will be more so on Shane to to back it up. <laughs> well, I think I think what is even more interesting of Brody is that he's like if he goes and enjoys it and then does delivers. He, yeah, does he ever come back? Well, that's the thing. Like when you look at Shane, Shane's 33 now. I think Ambrose was about that age when he left as well. Like they, they had, and I believe that Shane is a more talented driver than Ambrose just from the, mm. I was I was also younger when Ambrose was driving, but I never saw Ambrose do rallying or the way he drove. True, but it like was Shane. different back then. Um, Very different. It, even it my dad's sport. Even my old man says, you know, like when I was racing, you had one contract and you couldn't drive anything else. He um he copped a lot of, you know, slack one day for just doing driver training. He used to do driver training in his spare time to keep him sharp for obviously racing. Um, yeah. And back then the contracts dictated what you could and couldn't do off the track. You know, you couldn't go yeah. skiing. You couldn't play ball sports off the risk of injuring yourself. You, you know, couldn't go race in the 12 hour. You couldn't race in the six hour. You were contracted to race supercars, um, yeah. and so you know I'm. I promise you, if those drivers like Ambrose and that back in the day 
were given the opportunity to go race other things, they would have. You know, I yeah. think off off my memory, one of the only drivers that was capable of doing maybe his own thing on the side, racing GTs, racing, you know, production cars and whatnot, was Paul Morris. And that's because yeah. he ran his own team, you know. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's it's a different it was a different life back then. They were contracted to race supercars. No contract to race supercars only. You know, so well, I think regardless yeah, you say the was- rally thing with Shane, I think that's in itself is a testament. He won his rally debut. <laughs> it's- well, regardless of of who is better, my point was more they were they were well seasoned. True, you know, in super so they were they they had done a whole. They were household you know, names, through. yeah, yeah. But also, they were just older. Like Brody true. is at the beginning of his journey. Yeah. So if he if he goes there, enjoys it, performs. Mm. And someone throws him a contract. He also yeah. then has the time mm. to develop in that sport into a household name to, in NASCAR, or to, to, to even see if he can mm. on the ovals. He has time to hone his skills. That's a good point, actually. And by the time he gets to thirty, which is five years, six years away, he's still going to be three years younger than Shane is now, or when Ambrose went. Mm. Then, when he hits his thirties, he still has the time to you know, see if you can make a mark on that sport. Like it's at such a different age point, which is mm. I think so cool that the that the um opportunity is getting presented to him. And I've been very critical of Peter Adderton this year, the, just the smack talking he's been doing. So I, as I feel like there's he's got valid points, but also he's doing it too much, which is detracting as well. But the but one the thing he has done is put Brody on mate, the grid there. Is, he put his money yeah. He's put it, he always puts his money where his mouth is. Yeah. And this is going to be a fantastic opportunity for Brody. And it's backed by his money. Uh, and really, this this could be the biggest thing in terms of uh like I know that they're talking about going to race in uh, Sing- uh Singapore next year, which is fantastic, but this could be an even bigger like uh moment for the sport that if we can have another event where our drivers do really well, uh, you know, America's on notice properly now as well because this track is a track that we don't know, but their drivers know. Mm-hmm. You know it's, a, it's a totally different dynamic. Yeah, it's not a one-off. Uh, it's not raining. It's, yeah. No, it's it's going to be it's going to mm. be a, a big, you know, show and tell for us. So I feel true. like this could be a, a massive advertisement for, hey, we did it once. We'll do it again. We did it, and we and if we do it again, you know the 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 way that the American market looks at the quality of our races, I think will mm. forever change. It will, and and you're so true about that. And then where I'll feel sorry for is you know guys like well, I'm hoping that their life isn't just supercars, um, but guys like Chas Mostert and Cam Waters. Because we know how capable they are, Anton Di Pasquale. You know, we know how 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 talented these guys are in the right don't equipment. Feel, don't feel sorry for Chaz. If everyone fucks off, then Chaz can win the championship. <laughs> yeah, true. And I'll be a happy man. <laughs> yes. Oh, look, nothing would make me happier to see Chaz win a championship. Um, you know, but I, I, I don't. I, I don't think, think. I think he even knows that he's good enough to do it against the best. Um. Uh, and I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't expect all of our races to want to go to NASCAR. That's another thing. Yeah, like, but I not ne- like- not necessarily just NASCAR. But it, it would raise eyebrows to go 
potentially explore things. other things. As- you know, uh, we saw it a couple of years ago. And, and speaking of Chaz, he was in a BMW Academy program. Um, he he gave up pretty much that right to race, you know, as a factory BMW driver to focus or on his supercar bus. career. And then obviously COVID happened and he lost his international sort of drive. Um, but, you know, for guys that are in supercars and, and unfortunately this whole Gen 3 thing has been pretty negative in their reviews. And so it's pretty evident that it hasn't really worked in the way that they want. And I think most of that's due to parity. And obviously they're working night and day to fix that and they've made massive inroads but we're still seeing disparity in between the brands. And yeah. so obviously the racing is getting closer and closer and closer to the front, but we're still seeing, you know, the Mustangs use their rear tires more. We're still seeing, you know, that um, there's an aero disparity. We're still seeing a speed disadvantage. And, and these are some of the things that, you know, if these are continuing to happen at Bathurst, you know, you can pretty much rest assured, say that the top 10 is going to be Camaro and, you might as well stay home if you if you're not in that brand. That's a big yeah. issue for supercars yeah. right now. And for any any um, NASCAR fan turning on the TV to see what supercars is all about, it's not the best time for us because we're still no. we're still sorting out these Gen threes. We're, you we're know. spinning our wheels in the mud. Yeah, yeah. And um, I'm very interested with um, going to Sydney Motorsport Park this week because we've had a lot of races there. Especially we had a lot of races there during COVID. Yeah. Um, and I then, raced there during uh, COVID. And uh, like a, a hierarchy of teams has sort of that perform well there has been well established. Erebus perform well there. Yeah. Tickfit perform well there. Yeah. Um, Will Brown got his maiden win there, I think. Yep. And then Dick Johnson also performed well there True. before this new generation. And so, do you know the team that doesn't? Yeah. Walkinshaw. Walkinshaw tend My to boys. struggle there. My boys. So My I boys think- too. I think what we're going to see this week especially is or we're going to know somewhat better how the parity is mm. working because there's nowhere to hide on this track in terms of uh, tyre wear. Performance, yeah, and tyre wear. It's a longer race as well. Mm. Uh, the, the, the teams that usually do well there, it's going to be interesting to see if they continue to do well there. Um, and that's why I sort of – I was I was going to do a, a mid-season review for – Supercars before this race, but I thought this let's do it after. A, It'll be yeah, interesting. It's gonna be a, a really telling moment, especially. I think it was unfair to do it after the last event because a lot of the four teams are sort of kicking and streaming. And well, they were saying we've developed the car to work one way. Now that all this extra error has has, yeah, has yeah, have to done the reverse effect. Has had to we have to re-engineer the cars. Mm. So after a race week, and hopefully. The, they're going there with a better understanding of what of how it works. We um, saw, um, like you said, they raced a lot during COVID, and Walkinshaw really struggled at Sydney, and then went on to win Bathurst that year. So yeah, well, let's just I'm, hope for everyone's I'm sake not, that they have a I'm shit weekend from, and they win Bathurst this year. Hey, <laughs> I just I just want to watch a race and go. That was close awesome. enough yeah. for everyone. I agree. You know, there was no. There was no. Teams yep. that was looked like they were struggling. Yeah, everyone had a chance, and they lost or won by their own merit. I agree. I'm going to make a bold prediction that a BJR car will win one of the races. They tend to go pretty strong there. They do tend to go very well there. I'm going to go. Heimgartner is going to win a race this weekend. 
I'm gonna I'm not gonna say Heimgard's gonna win the race. I think I think Fullwood's on the the Fullwood's been pretty surprisingly good this year. I the last two rounds I have uh, double taked when I'm yeah. watching where he's positioned in the race. Yeah, same. I've had a lot of people going, saying, like, has everyone else pitted or something? And I'm going, no, he's genuinely in his second, third. You know, he's genuinely in the top five. I was- Fullwood and LeBrock have been, like, I know Winterbottom won that race, but other than his win. LeBrock's been one of the most impressive this year, things this year. The it's, last three um, rounds, it's been Fullwood and LeBrock who I yeah. genuinely thought, snap. Yeah. I think... Well, Fullwood I always rated, but he hasn't really shown much. Well, I grew up racing against Fullwood, so I've always respected him quite a lot as a driver. I don't think he reached anywhere near his true potential at Walkinshaw. I think he was under yeah. the pressure and maybe didn't handle it so well, especially having well, a teammate like Chaz. That can't be easy. Well, it's not like Percat's um, doing much better. We're seeing the same anyway. thing with Percat. I was going to say that. And again, I've you know I've seen Percat perform very highly at the Bathurst 6L when I was his teammate and... I rate him wholeheartedly as a driver too. So it goes to show, obviously, how good, first of all, Chaz is. And then second of all, how much pressure maybe a top team is for some of these probably mid, mid-pace mid drivers. Perkett does well at Sydney Motorsport Park. He wins races. He's won races there. So He does, man. Well, he needs to. I'm going to say Perkett. No, I'm not. Fuck that. I'm not going to say that at all. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say. He's in a Mustang, don't forget. I'm going to say Cam's going to win okay. one of the, one of the races. That. I rate that. I'm going to say, they, I'm going to he's say, pretty strong there. Yeah, he's. I'm going to say he's going to win the Saturday night race, Okay, the longer one. And I'm going to say that uh, Fullwood will be on, on a podium. Uh, he'll, he'll finish in the overall top five for the weekend. That's cool. That's a cool prediction, man. You should put a, you should put a um get your phone out put a little bet on that right now because there's a good chance it's going to happen. I don't gamble because nah, you're good good whenever, man. Whenever, whenever I think whenever I think that I should yeah. and I get tempted, <laughs> I lose all the money that I put on. So it's a smart. Anyone listening, that's a uh, the best thing you'll hear all night. Um yeah yeah. Look, I'll go because we've been doing predictions for F1 and whatnot. I'm going to go. Like I said, um, I think one of the BJR cars will win a race this weekend. Um, I think it's going to be Heimgartner. I think that LeBrock will snag a podium in one of the races. And I think we're going to see what SVG does best. I think he's going to take that championship back. Do you know what I want to see? I just want to see Declan Fraser put together a good weekend. He will, man. He Give him time, bro. Like, I, I really rate... Deck. I think he's not, a not, great not, young kid. Not, I think he's a really solid driver, and I think he's definitely got that potential. So I don't. I don't mean there, even like a. I just not even a like a high rating weekend. In yeah, terms just of points. Impress just a, and improve. Just, just a just a clean weekend. Because I feel yeah. like like a snowball effect can happen. Like I think it also happened with Kostecki last year as well. Yeah, definitely. So when, when when you get in the rut. Of mm. bad performances, and you put, and then you have a few that you you know get knocked out. You just you never build the momentum, and then you never build the confidence. And we mm. know that he's a great racer, but I think I just I just want to see a clean weekend from him. Yeah, I agree, man. I, I'd love to because I, I I really like Declan. I think he's worthy of a good performance. You know, you mentioned Jake Gasecki, and it was pretty interesting because. You know, last year he had a couple of top tens. Yeah, I think he had two top ten shootouts. Like, 
could be wrong on that. I know he definitely did one. Um, I know he was. In, I know he was trading cars in one of them. I but he, know. you know what? Like for a a guy who probably got into supercars too early, I think that whole Matt Stone Racing young driver thing kind of backfired his career. I think he needed another year in Super Two. But you can't snag an opportunity. You can't sorry pass up an opportunity to jump into the top top sport in the country no. when you're given it. So you know. Um, he had to sort of learn how to swim really quickly. And um, I think he did a really good job. I think he's worthy. I've said this in the past. I think he and Kurt are definitely worthy of a seat, maybe in a BJR car or somewhere that can help nurture that talent. But, you know, I just, I feel like maybe Tickford wasn't the right time for him. Um, I think he maybe needed another year at Matt Stone Racing or a BJR before he moved to a top team. So... Same as Declan Fraser, he's jumped into a top team and, you know, everyone's going to expect him to swim, but he's just got to learn to float first. I think we might remind me next week if you want to jump on as well. We might touch this point again. Yeah, too easy, I man. F- I feel like it might there might be something in the fact that when you're a young driver who goes to a team that has four cars, mm. just the um, sort of the focus on you to improve might be a bit harder to attain because there's – so many cars so and maybe when you walk into a team that has two cars we've seen like Jack LeBrock's performance from last year in Tickford mm. be nowhere like what it is now year two before cars sorry mm. year, year before now be like what it is with Matt Stone mm. that might be something that we have a, we have a think about but I think we'll leave it there yeah and too easy man that was an awesome chat it's a shame H we... missed it all but um, <laughs> you'll have to get him better internet for the next one I've oh, been trying to get better internet for the last year and a half. Yeah, that's where does problem. he live? Like, do they have running water where he lives? Or <laughs> <laughs> nah. I think, I think his missus is always outside cranking a generator with her hand just to. Oh to no! <laughs> just to keep the lights going. <laughs> oh man, no. It'd be good to um, get H on and see what he has to say. But no, thanks for having me on again, and to everyone listening, make sure you like, share, and subscribe. And uh, keep tuning into that SVG thing. We want to blow these guys up. (laughs) No worries, mate. Thank you very much, buddy. Too easy, boys. Have a good night, eh? Thanks, mate. Yeah, brother.